Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. I'm excited about my talent. I bet you are too. I know I am. Seriously? Yeah. Mm. Get involved in the show. 65780 Air Comfort Service tax line. Leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. It's a program that solicits your involvement as uh, Action Jackson poses questions and really ponder sports topics for our one hour before BK and Ferrario take over. Dan McLaughlin will be joining us today. He was on the call of the Cardinal win last night and history at Bush Stadium. Were you at the game last night again? No, I was not. Mm. Did you watch the game? I did. I, of course I wanted to see that first inning. I wanted to see Yadi and Wayno. Did you watch the whole game? No. Okay. I didn't stay up that late last night. No. I was, I was going to the game Tuesday night. Stayed till like, I wanted to leave at 9. Ended up leaving like closer to 10. I was like, yeah, what are you going to do? So, so what time are you going to go? I was like asleep by 10 15, 10 ish, which is. The game was over by then, though. I was in bed earlier than that. I was reading. Were you watching like highlights from the 2019 Raptors? I didn't like that team that much, but I still like Kawhi. They so, just... so, what were you watching, bro? I was reading. I was reading in bed. And then no, I what were you to reading? Bed. Like I'm, a I'm... Jackie Collins erotica? <laughs> I'm just finishing the, uh, which I've been, it's taken me way too long to finish, but I love it. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the book, the novel version of it, really good. Margot Robbie. Right, right. She's in the book. I read. It's great because the movie came out first, so you read the characters in the actor's voice. It's great. Brad Pitt, who you talked about yesterday, wanting to see Topless. Him, Steve Spurrier. So that's back-to-back shows. Dom DeLuise. <laughs> and Dom DeLuise, all Topless on the program. Well, I did uh, watch the Cardinal game. Last night, and uh, and I actually wagered on the Cardinals. Now I don't just do this just because. Oh, I love the Cardinals, so I'll bet on them. If anything, you gotta tread lightly. Never allow emotion into a business decision. But Jackson, considering the circumstances, that the Cardinals were actually underdogs last night, so I was getting uh, one point oh five to one on my money. Uh, I was on the uh, I was on the Cardinals, and I was handsomely rewarded. And I think it's a Cardinal game that if you just drove by and took a look at the box score, you go, ooh, Adam Wainwright wasn't necessarily on. Mm-hmm. But the first few hits, and the Brewers were getting some hits that he gave up, were just kind of, excuse me, little garbage hits. Yep. And, you know, they count, don't get me wrong, but they were able to dodge the trouble early on. The Brewers still left a bunch of runners on base throughout the course of the game, and the Cardinals were able to get it. And Albert Pujols was able to give them insurance in the eighth with a double. No home run, but Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright celebrate history with a victory, and the magic number drops to 12. Absolutely, yeah. With the Cardinals, I feel like more so the bullpen, but a lot of times starting pitching, you can kind of pitch the contact for a lot because you have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt on the corners of the outfield or the infield, I should say. Which and Arenado made a beautiful play last night, and so like it's a huge advantage to have that kind of defense behind you because you can feel a little bit more comfortable throwing some in the zone. Now they have five against the Reds over four days. Albert Pujols 
is looking for three home runs in five days. What percentage would you give him of doing that? This is a fun with arbitrary percentages. A, three and a real five benchmark days. of the program. Three and five days. That's right, right. Five well, it's not five days, five games, four five days, games. three home runs. Five, four, three. Uh, 10%. Oh, wow. That's And what percentage would you give him of uh, hitting three home runs over the next, uh, let's see 19? what we got here, 19 games. That's correct. Uh, 42%. Hmm. Interesting. You know what I'm trying to do right now? You're trying to do some proportionating. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that math doesn't make any sense. I'm doesn't pretty, have to. I'm pretty sure that it doesn't make any sense. But if you're just, uh, you know, just saying, you know, he might rise to the occasion to right. try to do it right. in St. Louis as opposed to at Petco Park or Dodger Stadium. Or for that, what did you tell me the name of the Milwaukee Stadium is now? It used to be Miller American Park. American Family Insurance, I think. Okay. But they didn't like even call it stadium. They just call it American Family Insurance. Insurance. Yeah, and that's the end of it. I don't nice. like that ballpark one iota. I don't either. Oh, it's, I think it's ugly. I think it's like... I think we both... I, anytime something reminds me of the dome, <laughs> you get, like PTSD. I really am nauseated by what they did in Texas. Oh, it's the worst. As in the Rangers thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then he would come home and I'd have three games against the Pirates, and then they go to Pittsburgh for three and then host the... Padres or Phillies or Brewers, yeah. or maybe, hmm. segue, the Cardinals are now only four back of the Braves and four and a half back of the Mets, who have been swept by the Cubs. Yeah. That was with a Jacob deGrom and Chris Bassett start, Shocking. by the way. Shocking. I wonder what kind of numbers we would have gotten on that. So the Cardinals uh, will have an opportunity here to maybe get to the second seed in the National League. Fun with arbitrary percentages. What percentage would you give the Cardinals of getting the second seed in the National League playoffs? 35%. Mm, it's higher than I would have thought as well. Yeah. All right. 35%. The Mets have, a, I mean, just a clown show schedule here coming up, but they do play the Braves one time. They have uh, four with the Pirates starting tonight. And uh, the Cardinals are four and a half back at the Mets, four back of the Braves. Adam Wainwright, following the game last night, was asked about it. Jackson, I don't know if I can, with totally unannounced, even though I know he played it on TMA, find audio clip of uh, Wainwright being asked about that as to whether or not, I think Randy actually is the one who asked him in the post game as to whether or not the Cardinals have their eyes on trying to chase down the Braves and Mets and get that second seed. And it sounds like, based on Wainwright's answer, it's something that the guys have actually talked about. Here is what he has to say. There's only one team with more home wins in the National League than you guys. And after tonight, you guys are four behind the Mets and Braves in the, on the loss side. How much of a carrot is getting a buy for you guys right yeah. now? Yeah, man, yeah. It's right there, right? Might as well reach for it. That's what we're trying. I mean, that's uh, something we decided a week ago or so. It's started looking at that Mets-Braves team, and I don't want to give too much away because I don't want them knowing we're trying to catch them. But uh, they probably know that. Um, that was something we decided as a team that, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is we get complacent and get comfortable with this big lead we have. There's an opportunity ahead of us to, to reach that carrot that you said, that whoever's ahead of us get that number two seed. Um, that's a real thing. That could happen. I mean, I've seen this team come back from 10 and a half in September. So, you know, the four doesn't sound like a whole lot to me. But um, 
it's it's there and it's something that we're we're not we're not getting tight we're not we're not trying to do too much we're just going out and playing with with that as motivation and we'll see what happens all we can do is win our games for the record the mets have four against the pirates starting tonight then three in milwaukee uh, then naturally, while in Milwaukee, they'll swing by the East Bay and play three against the A's. Then they head on home across the country to play the Marlins twice. Yeah. Then they'll fly down south to Atlanta to play three and then head back up to New York to play Natitude for three. That is how the Mets schedule shakes out. Now, logic would dictate after you hear that, that it's going to be very difficult for the Cardinals to catch a team playing those teams. But as I mentioned, three of those games are against the Braves, so that means somebody, of course, has to lose. It also means somebody has to win, so you may ask the question, well, who do the Braves have left him? No problem. I'm more than happy to tell you. Uh, They have an off day today, and then they have the Phillies for three, and that's a team that's legit. Uh, that's fighting as well. Then you have the Nationals, then four in Philadelphia, three against Natitude, three at home against the Mets, and then three at Miami. So the Braves certainly have a tougher schedule, and that's mainly because they have seven against the Phillies, and the Phillies are fighting for a playoff spot, although at this moment it looks like they're in a pretty good position. So I would imagine, barring a big surprise, you're going to have some National League East 4-5 matchup. Yeah. And the Cardinals, if they don't get the two seed, would be playing uh, the Padres or the Brewers. That's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's the most likely breakout. No, yeah. I mean, no matter what, it's a t- I mean, the intensity. You know, sometimes I don't know how you feel about this, uh, Cardinal fans or Blues fans, when you're looking at a best of seven series, not necessarily best of five. It's like, all right, the series is starting, kind of ease into it, especially if it's a Game Seven in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then a couple nights later. You're into game one, and the intensity you feel while watching a game seven versus, oh, now we're starting the series against, you know, whomever, and it's game one, and it just feels less than. Not because it's less important, because it's the next round and there are half the teams left, but the intensity because the urgency has been reduced is there. Well, hey, you got a best of three. The urgency is there from the get-go because you lose that game the next day you're facing elimination on the other side. But, of course, if you win it, you can advance to the next round the next day. And the Cardinals will, unless they get that second seed, be in that position on Friday, October 7th at Bush Stadium. Can the Cardinals catch those teams? Absolutely. But you know that those teams are going to have to lose um, five of their remaining 19 games, and that's one element, and then that means the Cardinals basically cannot lose. Right. So that's that's the math, and when you lay out the math, because of how few games are remaining, you realize how difficult that is, in addition to the fact that they're playing each other three times, in which, sure, somebody has to lose, but somebody has to win. In the whole scheme of things, does it matter? You know what? I kind of think it does. I don't know if it it, it matters in the sense that it's how the Cardinals will approach things. I don't think they take their foot off the gas. But, yeah, if you can set your rotation because you don't have to use your starters and and have whoever you would want to go in Game 1 ready and Game 2 ready and not be using the back end of the rotation uh, in Game 1 of the NLDS, yeah, it it, it does matter. Absolutely. So um, there's value in it. The issue here is it's not like you're talking about, okay, they're two back, but you'd like to give some players some rest. They're four and a half back at two teams, 
and there's only less than 20 games remaining. So mathematically, it makes it incredibly difficult. Your thoughts on the topic, 65780. And uh, Action Jackson has a wonderful, just a, a bounty of questions that we will address here on today's show. And here is what we got. This may be overreaction theater, but I will still ask the question. With the Cardinals going 4-4 four and four over their last eight, and I write this before last night's game, so now 5-4 and four over their last nine, is there any concern that they got red hot a little too early? I understand 500 over that small sample size is nothing to panic over, but some individual numbers are a tad concerning. Goldschmidt and Arenado have for sure cooled off, and the Cardinals are getting very little production from the outfield. Do you think this no-man's land they seem stuck in is a factor in all of this? Am I overreacting? And then you finish by saying, buh? <laughs> <laughs> I did, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I just uh, the question and it. If the Cardinals would have lost last night. The question would have seemed more relevant since they won last. It's the night. The risk of writing these pre-game, right? But I'm not going to write questions at nine thirty or ten o'clock. Well, because you claim you're asleep while you're reading Jackie Collins erotica, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even understand the <laughs> reference. But uh, what I'll say is, it's more so the individual. Read Jackie Collins erotica. Yeah, text in. <laughs> Good. You could win tickets, maybe. I don't know. I don't think we're giving away anything today. But I think the individual numbers are what, you know, Arenado hitting a home run last night was great to see. But those numbers have certainly dropped off a little bit, and then the outfield has kind of been a lingering problem throughout the season. So, you know, we always talk about teams that get hot right before the playoffs usually do better. So that's why my question is. All right. You don't have to apologize for your question. You're still a sweet, sweet prince. Well, we'll talk about it. Uh, 65780 is how you can get involved on the show with that question. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, 101 ESPN, Timothy Michael McKernan, Jackson Bennett, Bennett Burkett. I didn't know that. I probably did know that. Yeah, I have seven letters in each of my three names. It's lucky, but I was born on Friday the 13th. I'm a paradox. I just feel like all you're doing is just giving the Air Comfort Service text line red meat right now, and they're just going to pounce. And so I was over here listening and learning, mm. but yet simultaneously feeling badly for you because I know it's about to happen. And that, that is my inner monologue. Yeah, I hear you. But I think uh, sometimes you got to give some ammunition away. You know, I like, I like the, uh, the back and forth. The witty repartee. Oh, really? So now you're back on board with the audience. Sure, sure. All right. Well, we'll see how we'll see what you think as I read these. Uh, Dan McLaughlin's going to join us uh, coming up at ten forty-five on today's radio program. Uh, Jackson posed the question: uh, Any worries? Now he acknowledges he wrote the question before the Cardinals won last night. But you know, this is a this is this has always been called more of a macro program than a micro program. Absolutely. And uh, and I I have to say I do understand wondering now what we have to if we can't if we're going to have this discussion which is an unpopular discussion to have because people don't want to think about bad things while potentially one of the greatest last couple of months in Cardinal baseball recent history is going on. Right. With regards to the combination of the team playing well and, which would separate it from the winning streak last year or the run in 2011, absurd potential 
individual accomplishments. You know, you had McGuire in 98, but the team wasn't any good. And you've had incredible Cardinal teams where there weren't necessarily individual accomplishments like triple crowns and MVPs and, and you know, 700 home runs, of course, is a you know, potential four times in a lifetime uh, experience or four times in the history of the game experience, I should say. So with all of that said, uh, if you want to look big picture, um, yeah, I think I think there's something to say with regards to concern about production from the outfield. That is a real thing. Yeah. Because the team has such a big lead, A, people don't want to talk about it, think about it, nor and why kind of why would you? But since you ask the question, then my responsibility is to answer it honestly. Yeah, that's a concern. Because if for whatever reason Goldschmidt and Arenado are shut down or not as effective as they've been throughout the course of the regular season in the best of three or best of five, either way, no matter what, it's going to be best of three or best of five, uh, you're going to need somebody else to pick up the slack. So considering the situation offensively with uh, the outfield, that's something that I would say is fair. I think one of the questions that some may have had, I didn't think it, obviously. I bet the Cardinals last night, was Wainwright had two bad starts in a row. Yeah. He talked about last night having a dead arm. Um, and that's something you go through and you just kind of get over it. He was never really all that concerned. Ben Fredrickson wrote a column in the Post-Dispatch about it a few days ago um, and saying, you know, he just needs to get back in a slot. And last night... Uh, they were discussing the different release points and how he was pulling the ball from his glove and the effectiveness that he was experiencing. And even though he did give up a good number of hits, I don't feel like a lot of them were hit hard. Yeah. Uh, so from that standpoint, to me, that checks that box. But I really wasn't worried about Adam Wainwright. Miles Michaelis, I'm a little concerned about. The Montgomery start was an outlier relative yeah. to his other performances. You know, if there are a couple of those between now and the postseason. From my standpoint, he doesn't have the equity that Wainwright has earned, but that doesn't mean that he will fail. He was on a podcast with CC Sabathia yep. and talked about how the Cardinals have freed him up because the Yankees didn't want him using his fastball. Yep. And so he said he gets to two strikes with hitters when he was with the Yankees, and they knew he wasn't going to throw his fastball, and so they just laid off everything because they knew he was going to throw a breaking ball. Uh, and so it really boxed him in. And so he feels free in St. Louis. Yeah, pinstripes are heavy. That's what he said. That's yeah. exactly right. Pinstripes are heavy. So, yeah, the, 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 if the Cardinals were to not have a deep run in the 2022 postseason, I, per, it's, I this is kind of a similar thing. And I, when I said it back in March or April regarding the avalanche, I know some people didn't like it, but you are dealing with some really good teams. Yep. Now, there is a difference between losing and getting beaten and there's a difference between losing and causing your losses sure. and so you know for example with with missouri if missouri loses 17 to 14 to k-state i would imagine missouri fans feel a hell of a lot differently than the 40 to 6 official score loss on saturday in manhattan for sure but you have a braves team that's the defending world champions that may be the best team in baseball uh, you have a Mets team that can come at you from a couple of different angles with that starting pitching and with the offense, and you have um, the uh, 
Dodgers that are historic. Yeah, unbelievable. So just there. But but also the teams that are in the wild card are pretty damn good as well when you're yeah. talking about the Phillies. I mean, the Padres certainly have kind of flopped around. And I think more of that is Tatis. I was watching the postgame show with Frank Thomas and Don Trell Willis and Chris Myers last night, and they were talking about that Padres situation. They just were talking about the, the when Tatis, they thought they were going to get there when they made the Soto trade and Hater, although that's been a mess. But the Tatis thing is what blew yep. him up. Yep. And so my point being that there are some really good teams, and it's a it's a different situation. From the Blues' standpoint, I was looking at them and going, man, the Wild are good, but the Avalanche are potentially historic. Right. And the Dodgers are potentially historic. But the Mets and Braves are damn good, too. Absolutely. Oftentimes in St. Louis, we've gone through a lot of uh, times where the Cardinals are the clear best team. And more often than not, they would win. But sometimes you go, man, that's a shame because that team was really good and they came up short. This team's really good, um, but there is some outstanding competition. And while certainly the Yankees or Astros are the team I'd actually keep an eye on just because they fly under the radar all the time, the Rays in the American League um, could certainly win the World Series. Boy, I'd, I'd... you know, it's certain if you said, "Hey, you can bet right now, National League or American League team to win the World Series," I would take National That's League, hundred percent, all day long. Right. There is there is some depth of greatness in the National League this year. So, my premise to answer the question is: the Cardinals are going to have to play great baseball with guys exceeding their current performance just to get through to the NLCS because it's so deep. Whereas past times in the NLDS, times when they played the Dodgers in 04, for example, or the Padres in 05, um, they were clearly the better team and they could, you know, they didn't have to necessarily be their best. This year, the top end talent that'll be in the playoffs is is at a really high level, more so than I can really recall um, in recent memory. Because again, the last time we saw the Cardinals get to the NLCS was against the Nationals. The Nationals were like five outs away from being eliminated in a one-game playoff, and they wind up right. winning the World Series. Right. But they look like a force by the time they got to the Cardinals in 2019. But I didn't think that 2019 Cardinal team was that great. Jackson, are you concerned? Are you projecting your concerns onto me with your questions? Well, I, I'm in favor of, like, I'm kind of happy that there's a relatively reachable gap between the Cardinals and Mets and Braves because I think the more that you're pushing for something, the more motivation you have day in and day out, the hotter the bats stay, the better the pitchers stay, and then going into the playoffs, you're going to come in hot. Even if you don't get that second seed, if you don't get that bye, if you're striving for it, you're still going day in, day out, trying to win baseball games, trying to get hits, trying to get outs. And I'm not saying they would do that without, you know, like uh, Wayno said, the carrot in front of them, or Randy said. Um but I think that that's a I think that's a key factor in them maintaining heat and playing their best baseball going into the playoffs. Yeah, and that last night's game for Milwaukee was incredibly important. It's Corbin Burns' yep. start, and they need to win essentially every game. Now, mathematically, I doubt that's the case, but they are in a spot where it is playoff time now. They cannot lose games. They are because they are the one that's chasing. And I'm not talking about the National League Central per se, although they could have closed it to six last night, but more about the wild card. And they've got their ace on the mound, and they've got opportunities against Adam Wainwright, not because they were necessarily squaring up the ball with him, but because they were in a spot where uh, he was vulnerable because they were finding their ways to get on the base, and they couldn't they couldn't convert. And so the Cardinals did have to battle last night, and they got it done uh, through a combination of Wainwright, the bullpen, 
and some late clutch hitting from Albert Pujols. So from that standpoint, I thought last night was a damn good win and all running parallel to the history we were witnessing with 2,200 RBIs for Albert Pujols and right. Wainwright Molina and the uh, the start-breaking uh, battery record uh, in addition to Wainwright finding what I felt like was there. Uh, I didn't think of the dead arm issue. I just thought he would get it back. Sometimes this happens over the course of a season. And uh, if anything, I'm glad that it happened in early September as opposed to early October. Your thoughts are welcome. 65780-65780. Action Jackson with two non-cardinal topics here that intrigue me. Um, And I'll set the stage with them both here. It's just deep teasing. I've been thinking a lot about this is Action Jackson I'm reading. Again, on this show, Jackson sends the questions. He stands right across from me. I read the questions. I've been thinking a lot about what Eli Drinkwitz said, and my thoughts didn't circle around the messenger, but the message itself. I can't imagine how hard it is sometimes for athletes to ignore and drown out the noise of social media and criticism online. A lot of athletes begin gaining notoriety in high school, and with that notoriety comes criticism and social media chirps. That means from junior or senior year of high school through college to the pros, some athletes have to deal with the peanut gallery commenting on anything they do. Describe from your perspective how difficult that can be and what effect it can have on a young athlete. Also provide some examples of athletes you've covered that would let the outside noise get to them and affect their game. Uh, And the second question, which we will tend to in the second half of Balloon Party during you and Randy talking uh, and pre-balloon party in the podcast, as we call it, the one-minute podcast, you guys talked about how Joe Buck uh, and Troy Aikman gave Monday Night Football the big game feel. I totally agree, but I can't put my finger on why it does. If you could explain why some broadcasters bring a certain mood to a game just by the way they call the game. Is it taught, or do these people have that talent? In my opinion, Jackson, I have answers to both of those questions. We will tend to them in the second half of Balloon Party, along with Dan McLaughlin joining us at 1045. This is 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sick beats. Dan McLaughlin with us coming up here in less than 10 minutes. Action Jackson's questions, really putting the people to the test today. This is what he said. I have been thinking a lot about what Eli Drinkwitz said. Do you really mean that? I mean, I thought about it like twice. More than I usually think about anything. And my thoughts didn't circle around the messenger, but the message itself. I can't imagine how hard it is sometimes for athletes to ignore and drown out the noise of social media and criticism online. A lot of athletes begin gaining notoriety in high school, and with that notoriety comes criticism and social media chirps, and that means from junior or senior year of high school through college to the pros, some athletes have to deal with the peanut gallery commenting on anything they do. Describe from your perspective how difficult that can be and what effect it can have on a young athlete. Also provide some athlete examples of athletes you've covered that would let the outside noise get to them and affect their game. So I would imagine that it is virtually, especially at a young age, impossible to tune it out. But if you can, oh my, you become a killer. Absolutely. So I don't fault anybody, though, at uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, or 42 for that matter, or 62 for that matter, for, you know, going, oh, that sucked, you know. At the same time... um, the Eli Drinkwood situation, when we discussed his uh, quote the other day that got some Missouri fans riled up when he said, you know, the people who gather on message boards and Twitter uh, and calling them losers, 
uh, had a, had a bit of double standard to it just because of the way that he utilizes those to kind of poke the beehive or was a Jim Rome interview mocking Jeremy Pruitt and his wife or the Dan Mullen song and dance. So with all of that said, um, from a big picture perspective on student athletes, as the NCAA likes to call them while profiting on them, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how it, how you, how you do ignore it. When you're talking about a college football team, how many people are on that team and involved right. in the program, you absolutely are aware of it. You're absolutely aware of it. And it's, it's got to be difficult. Hundred percent. Got to be difficult. Now, with that said, I I observe, and I'm curious what you think about this. These, you know, I follow ESPN on Instagram, and one of the things that a regular feature of ESPN social media um, is highlights of like kids doing something crazy, but oftentimes it's at the expense of another kid. Right. Yeah. And, and then it's, you know, videos taken by parents. And I think to myself, you know, what I, in the whole scheme of things, honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. That's my real opinion. But I do think to myself that for that kid, the kid that got dressed down, the kid that got burned by the kid that went, you know, crossover yeah. on him and then right. he fell over. Right. And now he's on ESPN's Instagram and he's 10. That's got to be a tough deal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. So you agree with me on this? Uh, I, I do. I'm legitimately surprised. I mean, again, like I said, my real opinion is, eh, I don't care. But I see it as I'm just scrolling through, and I go, man, that's that's got to be rough if you're the the 10-year-old who got, you know, Dragged. lit up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brutal because, I mean, you know, you're just out there playing. You don't, you're just playing a, kid, a game like everyone else, and then all of a sudden you're in front of, millions upon millions of eyes on social media and granted they don't know who you are but your friends do everyone you know does it gets thrown around and you're and for like a week it's kind of like you're kind of being embarrassed and it's i just can't imagine that i'm i was right before that would have happened you know i was in elementary and middle school right before social media really boomed but that would have been brutal and i don't know how you avoid it either so i'm i i'm just in general curious how espn in any social media, but ESPN just being the one that I'm citing, so that's mm-hmm. where I will see it. I know yeah. it's not the only one. Right. How that, how that plays the decision making process on it. You know, I I guess they have the right to do it, but I'm talking legally. I'm not talking about morally, yeah, ethically. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm I'm putting myself, whether it be from the parent perspective, and your kid's the one who's like depressed, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. like literally, because he's getting mocked because, yeah. you know. I mean, my God, I can't imagine how many opportunities there would have been with me doing something. When I was throwing the ball over the first baseman's head from second base like 30 different times a game. Yeah. Um, just And if that would have popped up on the equivalent of Instagram back yeah. then, I mean, holy crap. You'd be embarrassed. There's no other way to say it. No. So with the Missouri criticism that Drinkwitz is speaking to, I don't, I don't sense – that it's necessarily mean-spirited to an individual. There's criticism of Brady Cook, but I feel like the vast majority of the criticism over the last five days has been directed at the head coach. Absolutely. Um, I don't, but I'm, but I'm sure. I mean, certainly, and especially in, in some SEC schools, but it wouldn't be limited to the SEC. I'm sure it goes on in the Big Ten. That uh, that athletes, actual players experience oh, it yeah if you remember and EJ, back in the day when you weren't getting paid yeah. really brutal yeah if you remember ej liddell after he uh who went to belleville uh and plays for ohio state played for ohio state he uh 
he missed a couple of free throws in a tournament game and got terrible, terrible messages sent to him. You know, Matt, like, you know, back in the, I guess it's back in the day, you get fan mail, you know, letters and stuff, but it's so easy to be like, yeah, just don't give that to me. But you're on your phone all the time and you see that that just comes into your phone while you're relaxing with your family. Like, it's disgusting. It's, I just assume it's really, really hard to turn off for uh, athletes because a lot of them, social media is a big part of how they make money, you know, whether it be college or in the pros. You know, that's a big part of, of money is being on social media. If these little punks can't grow a spine, then they'll be forever spineless. That's from the 314. I would say the more spineless thing is to hide behind a burner account and tweet your criticisms at somebody that you would never say it to their face. Action Jackson, right over the top. The internet is a dark place, and I'm saying that when you start getting paid, it is now your job, and criticism comes along with that. Everyone has potential to be criticized at their job. I'll be it, I think maybe I'll be it, not at such a social level. Yeah, and that's the difference. Right. That's the difference. Right. So I get it if you are getting paid, but if you're like playing at St. Gabriel's in the seventh grade tournament and, yeah. you, you know, get burned on some crossover and all of a sudden now it's on ESPN's yeah, social 100%. media. Account. I, would just, I mean, like I said, my official position is, eh, <laughs> but I do wonder about it. Right. No, absolutely. Like personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't post that. You know, personally, right. I'm not, I'm not buying, personally, I would do plenty of things that most people wouldn't do, and I, you know, wouldn't do some things that most people would do. So it's a personal thing. But I just look at him and go, man, I'm surprised that they put those up there, not because of the kid who did it, but the kid who was on the receiving end of getting burned on no. the play. So uh, your thoughts are welcome. 65780. Dan McLaughlin going to join us as we talk about last night at Bush Stadium. And all that is to come here over the next few weeks, Dan McLaughlin with us next. Your questions for Dan are welcome also, 65780, Air Comfort Service. Text line, this is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, the great Dan McLaughlin. Good morning, Dan. Hey, good morning, fellas. How are nice. you? What's going on, man? Well, you just come out guns a blazing. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like I like it. guns a blazing, Dan. Uh, right. So so much last night, and you get to see behind the scenes as well. When you have history going on, you have as much as you do at that ballpark last night. Give me a little anecdote from either behind the scenes or an action that you saw before the game that uh, would help uh, typify what uh, last night's game meant for the Cardinals, Wainwright, Molina, Albert Pujols, the whole thing that is going on. I think the fans, yeah. um, you know, the, the fans is what really uh, got my attention. When they first walked out there, Molina went out to the, the bullpen to warm up, and the place went nuts. A lot of fans were there early. They didn't want to miss that first pitch. Mm-hmm. And then when they both walked out to, uh, you know, go into the dugout after that first inning, um, it was just electric, man. It was just the place was going nuts. I, I don't think, and I, I've told this to other people, I talked to Joe Strom the other day, and you know Joe, he's run the ticket department and various port, uh, parts of mm-hmm. you know, sales and suites and all that kind of stuff for many, many years. And uh, we were just, you know, just talking about what we're seeing right here, and I said, I don't think we're ever going to see this, man. Like, the, the perfect storm has come together. Literally, it's all come together. And it's better than you ever could have imagined. The team is good. Guy might win a triple crown. 
oh, by the way, you have a legend back, and he found the fountain of youth, and he's coming back, and, and you know, Father Time is taking a break with him. He's been awesome. He's going to get to 700 maybe. Um, and regardless if he does, he's been incredible to have back. I mean, last night he had – it was RBI number 2,200 yep. for the mistakes. Yep. And then you've got, you know, Yachty and, and Wayno, and it's just been awesome to see – how it's all come together. So I, I don't think, and Joe agreed. I mean, we were talking about, we were there in the McGuire years. It's not like that. This is different. I don't think we're ever going to see something like this again. So uh, kind of drink it in and savor it and have some fun with it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. We were talking a little bit earlier on that you have the individual accomplishments, multiple going on, all while you have the team playing as well as they're playing the hottest team in baseball since. August 1st. It is It is a rare moment, and it has captivated the St. Louis area. I'm curious on this. Adam Wainwright talked about it after the game last night, that the Cardinals as a group came together and said, hey, let's keep our foot on the gas and see if we can catch the Mets and the Braves. It is just mathematically going to be tough because of the number of games left, the fact that those two teams do play each other for three of those remaining 19, 20 games, depending on who it is. The Cardinals have 19 left. Um, what are your thoughts on tracking down the Mets and Braves? It's like being on a leaderboard in golf. It's one thing if you're five shots back, but you're just chasing one guy. It's another thing if you're two shots back, but there's eight guys in between you and the top. It's it's a different thing when you got to chase down two. Your thoughts on getting to that second seed, Dan? Bingo. You, you hit it. I mean, I think if you're chasing one, and especially if you had some head-to-head against them, um, yeah. you feel a little bit better about it, but... You know, that those season series are, are done with the Mets and the Braves. Um, so I think it's very, very tough to do when you're trying to catch two. It's not to say that it hasn't happened or can't happen. Baseball is so weird, but I think it's very, very tough. I do like the idea, though, of trying to keep the, the pedal down and, and have a carrot there that you're going for to, to not lose any of the intensity. I, I, I think what's really interesting is that the Cardinals could have a big say in what happens with the Padres. You know, the Padres have a two-game lead over Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee wasted an opportunity to gain a game on the Cardinals and the Padres last night. I believe they're only two back. So if the, the, the Brewers can sneak in and get that final wild card, the Cardinals would be hosting Milwaukee at Bush Stadium. So um, that's something to think about as we move forward, too. Yeah, that's a big part of the uh, equation here over the next few weeks as the Cardinals do see San Diego for 3 With regards to what we're seeing from the lineup, this is a question that we were discussing in the second segment of the show and, and what's going on offensively. You have some question marks on the, in the production, in the outfield certainly relative to what they were doing. There's been some cooling off offensively what are you seeing uh and uh, what are your thoughts on where things are with with the cardinals and the offense and i think particularly people wonder about the outfield and what it would look like whenever october and the matchup rolls around well i think right now if 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 it was october you would look at lefty righty type of situation so righty on the mound dickerson plays Mm -hmm. lefty on the mound you know you're you're trying to figure it out as you go forward I, i think one of the interesting things in the last couple of weeks here, under three weeks now, I think it's three weeks from yesterday, the season will end in Pittsburgh. But um, what do you have right now in Alec Burleson? Um, I, I think, you know, you're looking at a guy that can really hit. Uh, now, it's a really, really small sample size, obviously, here at the major league level. But what do you have here with him? And I think that's something that you need to figure out. And I think you need to figure out where Dylan Carlson is once he uh, does come back from the, the thumb issue that he's had because he can be a factor for you. So those are just two of the things that I would look at um, outside of the obvious, which is just trying to keep guys healthy. Um, I think if you wrap up the division, 
I, I would look at skipping some starts. I would give starts to other guys mm-hmm. and try to get uh, get Wayno as much rest as he can before uh, postseason play, and maybe some others. So that's something I would look at too. But until it's wrapped up, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm I'm going pedal to the metal. And of course, Albert Pujols last night. You made reference to 2,200. RBIs, yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it is something else, and and we haven't talked since uh, his. Damn, it's twenty. It's it's two thousand two hundred RBIs. It's just because a hundred RBI season is ridiculous, and then you think about. I mean, of course, it, it it winds up working out with how many seasons he's played, but of course, those seasons in Anaheim weren't anything like the seasons. Insane. And that kind of brings me to, to the Max Kellerman comments. And he's not the only one who said it. I suppose he just has the ba- the biggest platform. Barstool had a column on it. And I've, you know, on Twitter, oh, the ball must be juiced. But yet, you know, the Cardinals are having trouble scoring runs at times. So it must only be juiced when Albert's up, even though it's not like he's hitting a home run every time. But Pools has been putting up these power numbers that are comparable to this year. He just didn't have the OPS numbers. So the rest of the numbers weren't there. But the power numbers have been there, even in the down years in Anaheim and and then when you combine his home run total last year with the Dodgers and L.A. So it's 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 whether one's speculating on that kind of stuff is a totally different conversation. Statistically, it's just false. He has been hitting home runs. He just wasn't doing what he was doing the first 10 years of his career. I, I hate it when a, a guy has great success, whether it's Albert or Aaron Judge or Joe Blow. I, I don't care who it is. And all of a sudden we kind of look at it, you know, like what's going on here? No, no, the guy is ridiculous. He's an elite superstar, and he'll go down as one of the top five hitters, in my opinion, in the history of this game. He's the greatest right-handed hitter of his generation, and there's no doubting that in my mind. And I saw him at the prime of his career do things that no one else was doing and talking to people saying he is elite because of the preparation that he puts in, uh, the way that he works at it. How about when, I don't know if you were watching the game last night, but Mo said he's the first guy to the ballpark. Mm. He's there at, at noon or 1230. He's always studying. He's a cerebral. Uh, I, I always say to people, and I've, I've told you this, Tim, there are guys that are savants. I mean, all, any guy that you think is the worst player in baseball is still a great player. Now, you have very good players, and then you have, in my mind, savants. And in St. Louis, we've had... Yachty, uh, I would say now Wayno, obviously Carpenter. Uh, I'm talking about Chris Carpenter mm-hmm. and uh, and Albert and and Jimmy Edmonds. They see the game at a level that other people just don't see. It comes to them naturally, I guess is the best way to put it. But um, they, I, I asked Mo about a week ago, ten days ago. I said, "What are you seeing with Albert? Like, why why is this happening?" And he said, well, you know, our baseball people, the hitting people said they did this, that, and the other. He's like, I don't know. He, you know Mo gets. He's like, <laughs> whatever that is, that's great. He said, but I really feel he got a jolt from the home run derby and the celebration basically of his career. And I've always felt that he is the best showman I've ever seen in baseball, meaning that when the game is on the line or there's a big moment to be had, he rises to the occasion more times than not in a game that is based on failure. And so now with these crowds, and I told you from the get-go, remember I I was saying this in spring training, we're going to have moments where this guy feeds off the crowd and the adrenaline gets going, and you're going to see some magical Albert moments. I never envisioned this, believe me. But um, I think he feeds off of that, and it's a combination of his hard work and everything coming together here in St. Louis. He's beloved here. He loves this place. And 
It's a shame that he didn't have the other 10 years here, and that's fine. It's part of the story. But to see it come full circle here, he's feeding off of that, and I think that's part of what's going on here too. Yeah, it is true, and it, it wouldn't, that's why it wouldn't surprise me if somehow he got the next three over these five games this weekend. It just wouldn't surprise me just so he could somehow do it in St. Louis. Dan McLaughlin will be on the call, Cardinals and Reds, for five over the next four days. Dan, thanks you, thank you so much as always, sir. You guys are a pleasure to talk to every Thursday. Oh, my God. Thanks so much, Dan. <laughs> Thank How you, adorable. Dan. Thank no you, Dan. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin no with us here. Uh, all right. We are now at 11 o'clock, which means we are in BK and Ferrario's time, which means it's time for us to shut it down. Action Jackson, if we tended to all of our business, yep. we have tended to our business. All right, then let's get out of here and uh, let uh, BK and Ferrario do their thing. Thank you to Dan McLaughlin for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.